we will remember this night because it is the night we begin brothering for each other. What has your relationship to men been historically? Mixed, kind of mixed. I have some good, good male friends, and I'm lucky that way. You know, uh, up until although you know meeting meeting you and and uh, being part of the group, um, I only had a few real close friends, and uh, these are guys that I've known since childhood. So you know, maybe a small handful of of men that I really uh, trusted uh, to a degree. You know, it's hard to get that. It's hard to get that ultimate trust sometimes because there's so many uh, agendas with people or, or, or just un, unrecognized or unresolved issues, you know, so they don't come out. There's not, there's not as much openness that would further, you know, it going deeper. Um, but it's been pretty good. It's been pretty good. Yeah. Well, yeah, sometimes the, it seems like the the premise of those type of friendships is just sort of a you know a casual hangout. You know, it doesn't tend to go deep, or you know, that's not anyone's intention. Yeah, and some of those, at least for me, some of those just got deeper by by circumstance. You know, um, and when you you know, it's funny now that I'm relating the, the the question a little more. You know, that's that's the that's my relationship with men that I that I friends with when I meet men. Uh, that I don't know. It's very guarded at first, and um, because I don't know what the safety level is, so that's that's uh, that's important for me. Um, you know, uh, if it's a casual situation like at a party among friends, then I'm a little more at ease. But even still, I have my I have my, uh, I have my guard up, and I have my uh, I'm always looking, you know, making sure that I'm safe in that situation. If it's a place I don't know the people, then uh, that's that's magnified where I'm really on the lookout. And that has to do a lot um, as we, you know, as you know, um, with my history. So yeah, so it's a mixed, it's a mixed bag, you know, I'm, but I am fortunate enough to have some close men that uh, I feel safe with and I can trust. Um, and like I said, the ones that I've had since childhood, the reason those are deep because we've gone through some shit together, you know, some heavy, heavy stuff. And uh, we were there for each other. We helped each other out of it. Um, and so those people, have, you know, have, have, uh, have bonded with. Like the kind of situation where if you stay, if you stayed friends through those things, it becomes stronger. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you know, some of these things were life-threatening, you know, and potentially life-threatening. So, um, and so that's when you really, and, and not too many people uh, get that opportunity, I think, uh, outside of uh, combat situation, a military, military situation. combat situation, yeah. Um, but you know, some childhoods are like that. So, what yeah. what kind of things? Well, you know, uh, I don't want to divulge too much. <laughs> but, don't incriminate yourself. Uh, yeah, but. yeah. Well, I don't want it. Yeah, yeah. But um, you know, just growing up, I, I grew up in a, I grew up fairly poor in a neighborhood that was fairly poor, but now it's fairly wealthy as things change. Um, and, you know, and, and most, mostly poor white kids, but 
it's, it's California, so there's a lot of mixed backgrounds and uh, lots of drugs, lots of underage uh, sex. I'm thinking mainly about the girls that start having sex with older men at a very young age. Yeah, and a lot of abusive people. There's situations where I've, I've been, where I've had friends, uh, you know, come to my rescue and I've been there for them, you know, to pull them out. Kids running wild in Topanga Canyon. Yeah, yeah, Topanga Canyon and back when I lived in Michigan too, um, uh, but mainly in Topanga Canyon, you know, back this is, you know, back in the, in the seventies, you know, Topanga Canyon was a much different place. It was a beautiful place, but it also had a real layer of darkness that wound through it. You know, a lot of drugs, like I said, a lot of drugs and a lot of, you know, I had my, I had my uh, exposure with those things and I was lucky enough to get out of it. I was one of the few people that had a present father, at least present most of the time. And I think, I think that made a difference. My parents split when I was in my teens, um, but he was, uh, but he, he was present pretty much more than most, most kids' fathers were. He was, he was around and he made an, he made a serious effort to be around. And that made a difference. He, you know, he wasn't a good, he wasn't a good mentor in many ways, uh, but he was a good man, you know, and tried did his best. So that was helpful. I had a couple of older uh, men in my life that were really instrumental in me getting out of that and kind of uh, keep my shit together. Um, one was my uh, gymnastic coach, Ed Gunny. And another was, that was in high school. Another was this, uh, was actually just a, uh, he was like, I guess they called him guidance counselors um, in junior high school when I was really, I mean, I was, I was doing really poorly. I was, you know, I was really acting out. You know, I, I had some uh, tragic things happen to me um, that was, that was being acted out. I was failing every class and I had, I had uh, ADHD. They said it was, um, but they didn't have any treatment or anything for it. Um, but his, his solution, I was fighting all the time. Actually, actually, uh, <clears throat> punched one of my uh, one of my gym teachers in the stomach uh, because he back then you, you're allowed to swat kids, you know. So they take this big paddle and bend you over and hit you in the ass with it. He's going to swat me, and I said, "Okay, if you're going to swat me, I'm going to hit you." And he swatted me and I hit him. So they put me in this. Uh, it was a summer program. It was up in the Sierras, and it was really quite amazing. It was this amazing place, uh, Piles Boys Camp. And you walk 12 miles into the camp and there's no roads going into the camp. There's only mules that would take the supplies in and out. So there's no road in there. Um, and that's where you were for two weeks. And uh, it was, it took a little bit getting used to, but you immediately felt safe. They treated you with respect and they treated you as an equal. And they were firm with you, but they were fair and uh, they weren't mean at all. They were very understanding. And uh, they gave, they, the first thing they did is gave people responsibilities. You know, there are kids there from you know, inner cities that were gangsters and all kinds of stuff. And they just really were <clears throat> really talented at propping up that emerging, you know, young man. And uh, these guys, I mean, you knew these, these camp counselors had you. They, bit, they split you up in groups, mainly by size and age. Um, I was small for me with the younger guys, which kind of bothered me at first. Um, and they knew it, but they made up for it. So my job was to take care of the, the nature center. I had to take care of the rattlesnakes, right? I had to feed the rattlesnakes. <laughs> so, so, you had, so you had to learn how to hold and handle rattlesnakes. So you'd get there early in the morning to this 
the thing. And he would take these rattle, you know, rattlesnakes are cold blooded. And when they're really cold, they don't move very well. So camp at night was bitter cold. So he'd take these snakes out and put them on the, by the little, by the little uh, river next to us, a little creek um, in the sand. And they could barely move because they were so cold. And he would show us how to, you know, you'd pin their head down and you'd pick them up and show us how to hold them. And so I would go in there and I'd clean the snake's cage. I would take the snakes out and put them in a burlap bag. We'd hold them in while we cleaned the cage out. And then we'd dump them back in. And, uh, you know, like I said, they would never let us do it, do us now. But for a kid with ADHD, you know, giving this like, oh my God, I'm going to hold rattlesnakes and handle rattlesnakes. I mean, that was a big thing. Oh yeah. My, my, my sons would, would absolutely love that. And I'm sure there was probably very little what they would consider bad behavior or the kind of thing that got you out of school in the first place. There were some, yeah. you know, I got in a couple of fights up there. You know, a lot of these kids, you know, like I say, they're inner city kids too, and they're gangsters and, uh, you know, and they're used to that, you know, uh, establishing, you know, hierarchies of some sort, you know, and, and, and they're young and they're acting out, you know, they're acting out all their, you know, broken stuff. And uh, so I got in a couple of fights, but they were quick to break them up. And they're also, really good at if there was a way to reconcile it they would try to do that but by the i'll tell you by the end of this camp after the end of the two weeks when people had to leave everybody was in tears i mean it was just amazing you know even tears me up now thinking about it you know and you you would sit in this big big circle at night um all the kids and a big bonfire and everybody had a pine cone and uh when it was your turn to speak you would throw the pine cone in the fire and just say whatever it was you know whatever came up and uh, you see some of these some of these hardcore gangsters. I mean, it's hard to think of a hardcore gangster in junior high school, but these guys were. And some of these guys, they're in junior high school, but they're they're grown ups because they're you know they're held back a couple of years. So some of these kids were you know sixteen and seventeen years old, and they were big sixteen or seventeen old kids. So some of these guys had you know big deep voices, and they shaved, and they were you know and they were tatted up, and they were scary. And I remember this one guy. He this is actually his second time back there, and. And they don't usually let people come back a second time, but this is a second time back there. And I think they brought him back because he was, uh, he was in bad shape as far as uh, a lot of pressure to join gangs. He had a guitar. And, and so when it was just his turn to uh, throw his pine cone in the fire, he played the song Summer Breeze and he sang it beautifully. And it just had us all just in tears. And uh, that really changed me as far as, and I didn't know it then. And, uh, and I didn't, and, and, you know, my coach, Coach Gunny, you know, he pulled me out of the fight and said, you know, uh, you're on the gymnastic team. And uh, I said, okay. And everybody respected Coach Gunny because he was this little guy with with a ton of muscles. And, uh, you know, just knew that this guy was, this guy was serious. He was a real, he was like a real man, you know, and he was like a super, like a superhero to us. So he put me on the uh, gymnastic team and I sucked. I was only, you know, I, I sucked for a number of reasons, but, um, you know, because, you know, a lot of these gymnasts, he started at a young age and he, and I'm in like an 11th grade and he puts me on the team. Oh, you started in 11th grade? Yeah, I started 11th grade. And um, <clears throat> and I was short for my age. Uh, my body wasn't producing testosterone for s some reason. I think it was from trauma. I think I had somehow the trauma that I had suffered uh, interrupted with that. But but for whatever reason, um, he put me on the gymnastic team and I, I couldn't do one pull-up. And these are gymnasts and they're doing 35 pull-ups, you know, and they're doing rings and doing all this stuff. I could do anything, but, um, but I showed up and, uh, and he, uh, he applauded me for showing up. I was always the first person there and the last person. 
And he was always using me as an example saying, you know, Campbell here was here before all you guys set the equipment up. And when you left, he was still working out and he put all the fucking equipment away. And he's here every day doing that. Um, so that felt good to be, to be applauded for effort and not for, not for the fact that I wasn't a star. You know, this the, the effort results. So. Yeah, and 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 that that was important to me, and and uh, and I, when I at not so much at the time because I didn't recognize it, but it became a big part of my life. That effort is is a goal. Putting out the effort is a worthy goal. It gave me a, a stubbornness that to this day I think helps me because my ADHD. Um, I was a very poor student, but um, I think that stubbornness allowed me to go back to school a number of times um, to, to to look for different careers. Um, and it eventually led me to uh, become a chiropractor. My father never graduated from high school. My mother graduated from high school, uh, but just but that was it for them. They didn't do anything after that. I, actually, I think my father finished high school. Like I think he had something, you know, some after school program, you know, back then. But it wasn't like now they have a GED, but but it wasn't called that then. But but and I never finished high school, you know. But I, when I went back to school, I got all the you, everything I needed to uh, to get into chiropractic school. And luckily, um, even with ADHD, the thing that really focused me was uh, anything that had to do with science. You know, I would always ace science, science and and uh, shop classes. You know, because shop classes because you're dealing with dangerous stuff, so that keeps you focused. And uh, and science just because I always enjoyed it. So I would study science at home on my own. I would read, you know books and encyclopedias and stuff because all that stuff fascinated me and I was lucky. So, so I was able to turn that into a, uh, into a career, but I had the focus of gymnastics and it was even interesting towards the, uh, I wasn't good enough to compete. I didn't score high enough, but the top scorer in our team, this guy, uh, he was very talented and uh, the things that he could do were pretty spectacular for a high school student, but he would never show up. He wouldn't, he wouldn't, uh, he wouldn't put equipment away. He was just a uh, fuck off in many ways. And um, so the coach cut him from the team wow. and he put me on the team. So he traded the best guy for the worst guy. And only because um, the guy was a bad example for the team. And, and I was, a, and I was a better example. And, and, uh, and I really appreciated that. And, and I still, to this day, man, I, I owe that, I owe that man everything. Cause that, it was that, that, it was that stubbornness, that, that ability to not give up that allowed me to quit drugs. You know, I quit doing drugs, you know, you know, I just white knuckled it and I just held on and, and, uh, and didn't go back. And that was, I, I really think that's because of his, his um, supporting me for being, for not giving up. Yeah, so it was in you, but you recognized it through his um, acknowledging it. Well, I don't know that it was it was possible in me when he met me. It was it was something that was possible potential. Yeah, and he and he, you know, he gave it you know what it needed, and by him supporting it and plotting me for it, that became part of my part of my uh, toolbox. You know, so for better or worse, sometimes it gets sometimes it gets in the way of things. <laughs> But I don't give up when I should. <laughs> right. uh, it's such a common thing. You know, you're talking about not succeeding in, in the framework of school. Um, and I think that's so common. It is so common for, for young boys, for boys. Yeah. My kids are 
100% in that camp right now. And they need to be out in the Sierras, uh, yeah. you know, like adventuring and, yeah. and uh, yeah, having responsibilities and, and being trusted and, and shown that they're trustworthy. And, you know, instead they're, they're and give it responsibility. Yeah. They're, they're being, the expectation is that they perform as good students and, you know, they're, they're not good students. You know, there's, there's so much like you in that way, like just brilliant, uh, exceptional in, in so many ways and just not good students. I have a, I have a theory about ADHD and about, uh, people like your, like your boys, um, that these are the people that, without sounding too uh, melodramatic about it, but but I think these are the type of people that that basically hacked civilization out of the wilderness. You know, the other type of people that um, that pushed forward, that worked hard, not just worked hard, but they they walked into danger often. And one thing I noticed about my ADHD is that. Um, and this is, you know, I worked as a uh, call firefighter for LA County. One thing I noticed is that when, when the stress is really, really high, the ADHD brain is very good at managing it. Right? So it takes us a lot to turn that brain on. But once it's on, it has a, it has a longer life under stress. You know, it's capable of doing more under stress. It doesn't, it doesn't uh, get overwhelmed easy. And also when I was, I noticed this when I was bartending, I bartended uh, at Gladstone's you know, back in the uh, early 90s. Um, and that was probably the, I think it was a rate, ranked at the 12th busiest restaurant in the nation. And you had a ton, you had a sea of people, especially like on a Sunday morning, wanting their drinks, you know. Down on PCH in Malibu. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and you had to be able to, you know, you had to take care of the people in front of you, you had to take care of the waitresses. You had to keep all this stuff in your brain at once. And it was constant, nonstop. People yelling and barking. You had to keep moving. You had to be aware of everybody's drinks. You had to be aware of what you had done, what, what you hadn't done. You had to be aware of all of your stock. If you're running out of anything, all your mixes and all your alcohol. And you also, at the same time, you have to be, have to be aware of how much alcohol people are drinking, you know, and checking IDs. And doing and you know all this stuff and aware of all the money all at once for 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 six hours to seven hours sometimes eight hours straight, you know and you're on your feet the whole time and I just noticed that uh, I could do that and I would get into like this uh, into like what they call the zone now I get into this state of almost meditation or just be you know it would I would be calm and so I think that's these different types of brains and especially I see these more often in men, but not only in men. Um, I think these are the type of people that uh, that you can put under a stressful situation and they'll really perform. And unfortunately, um, with technology and the way the world is now, uh, we don't have much place for them. Well, and yeah, and we and we've, the only thing we've set up is is an elementary school experience where you know between you know five years old and you know whenever they go to high school, 14 years old, they're just in this one environment that doesn't, it's not suited to that type of brain. Yeah. It's unfortunate. But getting back to where we started, how was your relationship with men 
uh, evolved in recent years where it seems like the, well, I'll let you answer it. I'm, I'm much more capable of, of uh, picking men to be close to me than before. Um, <clears throat> but it's, it's, it's not much different, you know? It, it's, uh, my relationship with myself is better, you know? So I think that helps in general. I don't feel, I don't feel quite as uh, hypervigilant, I think, as I used to, I hope, you know? But I don't know, that's hard to measure. And that, and that has to do with other things. Um, I have a hard time speaking about, but but I think it's better. I think my relationship with men is be, is, is better. I don't know that I feel any safer around men because I just see uh, you know I see <laughs> I see trouble everywhere, and I, you know and, and you know I, I tend to I still feel uh, you know I still feel a little uh, wary of that. You know, men, you know, luckily my my circle has expanded of men that I that I really really trust. Um, and, and that's, that's good. And, uh, you know, and I think that I've allowed myself to be a little bit, um, feel a little safer in general, in general, in, around men, but also in general, just feel a little safer and be, and allow people to, uh, be a part of my support system. So we'll see. It's, uh, it's a work in progress. Yeah. Men have fewer friends than ever before, close friendships. Um, and we, you know, we recognize that that's not good, but what, what is it specifically you think that to, that's important about that or, or what's important about it to you? About having male friendships? Well, just the, you know, the ability to, uh, to relate, you know, and even, you know, even, the, you know, just sitting uh, with your, your buddies and commiserating, you know, there's something about that when, when another man hears it, it actually has the effect of getting something off your chest to say, you actually feel your relief. You can't do that uh, so easily with, with women. Some women you can, some women are pretty amazing that way, but in general, you can't, um, you don't have this. It's not the same thing. It doesn't have the same effect. You're always, there's always something, you know, that gets in between that. So there's that. And there's also the experience, you know, the, the, the shared experience of what it's like being a man. I, I feel, I feel really, bad for men growing up now yeah. because I think that we I was I was lucky in many ways I mean unlucky in some ways but lucky in many ways that um, I grew up when I did because being male in um, and having male attributes and male behaviors and um, that was more the norm you know uh, now that's a little bit vilified men are here in the core of what of who they are they're here to serve they're here to serve and we're here to and we're here to uh to uh create uh safety and to uh serve our our wives and our women and our families and i think that's really what men are to do and i think that's where we feel the best and i'm saying in general because i know there's a there's a there's a a lot of different facets to this and there's women that that can do that and do do that very naturally um but that's what men in general do and that's what kind of i think that's what we're kind of uh biologically designed to do um and that biology goes deep into our psychology and you can't separate the two um 
And nowadays, there's this, I think there's this risk of being male. You know, there's this, there's this, uh, well, we don't want to step on any toes. And we certainly want to be accused of having toxic masculinity, which is a term I think is so destructive, at least the way that it, it, it gets, it gets um, put out there that there's something naturally, something innately toxic about being male. Well, I think, yeah, I think, I think masculinity and what's called toxic masculinity are different things, but no one's quite sure where the line is. And, yeah. and you know, it's, it's open for interpretation by whoever's using it at the moment. Yeah. There's no, yeah. And I think that, and I think that men uh, ultimately are going to err on the side of caution and not try to be too male because they want the, they want things to be good. You know, they don't want to, they don't want to upset their, upset their mates and they don't want to, I mean, they're, they're here to make women feel uh, safe and protected. And how can they make them feel safe and protective if they're toxic? You know, so I think that, so I think that uh, stifles a lot of male behavior, um, and especially bonding and, and getting around other men. So I think that's a big problem. The whole controversy of what a man is now and all this stuff. And, and uh, I think some of that is ultimately some of that would be for the better. You know, because I, obviously there's a there there are nuanced and uh, differences uh, between people, and some can be more masculine than others, and some males may be better served in a more feminine role. You know, whatever, however that looks. But there's a certain amount of ambiguity now, and uh, and, a, and a certain amount of pressure, I think, to be uh, other than male. And that's I think that's uh, I think ultimately that's destructive, and I think those the signs of that are coming are showing. It's not trending, so to speak. Yeah, you know, and and to be honest, uh, I don't in my lifetime I don't think it was ever popular. I mean, I, this whole this 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 you know, I remember when I was a child, and I would look at uh, the uh, images I saw of men, and uh, sure there was the, the the William Shatner and Clint Eastwood, and and which I thought were positive male role models. Um, in many ways. Um, and, but there are also the Dagwoods, you know, like, you know, Dagwood was this cartoon character that couldn't find his ass with both hands. And his, he's always goofing up and his, his smarter than him wife would have to come in and show how things are done. And, uh, and that was followed by the, you know, the Archie Bunker character who was just a, you know, couldn't, again, was an idiot. And every woman around him was smarter than him. And this, you know, this goes on and on. So we had, so, you know, the, the, the idea that men had it so great is inaccurate in many ways. It, you can't judge one culture by another, right, by the standards of another. So if you look back at, you know, you say, well, when, when women uh, couldn't uh, do this, they couldn't do that. And then say, okay, that looks wrong to me. Um, but I, I don't know everything in the entirety. And I can't really judge it. I'd be accurate to judge them. I would say this, that um, that that wouldn't be good now. It's very complicated how these things, how culture shifts and change. You can't, it's blaming, blaming one sex for it is just ludicrous. Absolutely. And, and I, I, I don't think any of us have any kind of problem with striving towards equality. Oh, absolutely. But what I am afraid of is that, you know, you get this, pendulum swing to the other direction where 
you know, where, when it's not actually equality that's being striven for, it's more, you know, the other side being on top for a while. And the other thing is that we can't forget that we're actually dealing with human beings, right? And human beings are, uh, they're greedy and they're savage and they're self-serving and, and, and not only, but very often. So if somebody can ride any trend, you know, to the top or, or you know, or someplace of, of greater power, they will. And uh, so, so I think that's what, uh, what drives a lot of this, you know, people, people will say, especially now with, social media, you know, people say or do anything just to get more likes. And if, if, if bashing this person or that person gets them there, they'll do it. And they can get away with it. I see a lot of that going on. You know, a lot of people just, you know, jumping on the bandwagon and, you know, pointing fingers. And it's just so small-minded and, and destructive, I think. You know, it's not, it's, not, it's not accurate. It's hard to see the whole picture of everything because, you know, we, don't, you know, we only have a brain that weighs a few pounds. and It only has a certain amount of computing capacity. So, you know. Yeah, it's not good, and it's not—it's not striving towards the stated goal of equality, is it? Yeah, whatever equality means. You know, um, I remember I, I had to go back to school in my late thirties uh, uh, to uh, to get one class so I can get into chiropractic school. You know, I was missing one class, so I took this—you know—very first level sociology, and uh, and we're talking about things and, and about about the past and about you know how tough uh, life was and specifically how tough it was for women. I think uh, the woman that ran this class was, uh, you know, she, she really focused on that. And I have no issue with that. But um, at one point we talked about, uh, we're talking about the Titanic and uh, the Titanic going down. And, you know, I said something uh, to the class to her. And I said, you know, here's an interesting thing about the Titanic. Most of the survivors were women and children. And the reason why is because the men gave their lives for them to survive, right? And that was, it was always women and children first. And that was adhered to at gunpoint sometimes. And uh, today, I think those men would be stepping on the heads and shoulders of those women. And I don't know that that's a good thing. I think some of these, some of these things, um, you know, uh, I think, you know, preserving women is important, you know, taking care of women is important. You know, uh, one male can uh, impregnate thousands of females, right? So if you look at it from a species point of view, you have to save the women. That's what keeps the species going. So that has to be built into us. So that's just part of it. You know, uh, it gets complicated. And, and, you know, we see all these, you know, because people are people and our minds are so creative. They're, they're creative and they're also dark. You know, they can be very dark. So all these things get put together and we have some crazy behavior. You know, that I think that came out of something that was was good. Women doing certain jobs and men doing certain jobs made perfect sense. And we can see where that's gone to extremes where men are dominant in, in cultures. And, um, especially when you look at places like the Middle East and, and Asia, you know, where we see that women are just really not valued. That's more of a, that's more of a product of, the way humans are rather than the product of the way one sex is or another sex is. Well, going back to the your interest in science, you have an incredible knowledge of the body and so many of the things that help and hinder the body and health. What do you feel are some of the most important things men should know uh, or be aware of where their health is concerned? I think one of the main things, and this is uh, for men, but I think for, uh, for women too, is the uh, exposure we have to estrogen mimics 
in our in our society, in our in our diet, in our environment. These uh, some of these uh, estrogen uh, mimics or uh, artificial estrogens are so powerful that once they bind to the uh, the receptor site, they stay there for a long time, and so that estrogen message is 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 getting through. So plastics and pesticides are uh, are uh, are estrogen. You know, uh, one of the plastics that we use, and I think it's uh, I think it's BPA, is actually very similar to estrogen. I mean, it's it's so close to estrogen, um, and it's uh, and it it dissociates from some of the, you know, it, it breaks down in water, right? And so, and what we store, we store water in plastic. So this, this plastic gets into our diet, you know, so that's the water bottles to go containers, plastic to go containers. We heat them up in the microwave, microwave safe. Yeah. And maybe not, you know, maybe safe for the microwave, but I don't think it's safe <laughs> for you, you know? Um, so that's, that's the one source. The other source is fad diet. And I'm going to make it hammered for this, but I look at uh, vegetarianism and veganism as a fad diet, um, at least the way it's pr pr practiced with a huge reliance on, uh, on soy products. And soy is uh, estrogen. It's a phytoestrogen. And um, so it's a source of estrogen and it may have its problems. Now, soy estrogen, that, it, it, it's an interesting one because it's not a very strong estrogen uh, mimic, so it doesn't the the message isn't as strong as some of the, uh, the chemical estrogens, the plastic estrogens. So maybe it's actually better to have the soy hitting your receptor site, the the, the phytoestrogen rather than the uh, the chemical estrogen. So maybe in some ways it's actually a good thing, but that's just by accident. And also I think um, you know, uh, and it might be it might be good for. Uh, for women as they go through menopause, maybe, you know, because they lose their estrogen and, and studies show that estrogen is really important for female health. It keeps their blood vessels strong, keeps their brain strong, keeps the bone density. Um, they, they live longer lives having, you know, a little bit of estrogen. So, so maybe that phytoestrogen helps them. I don't know, but maybe it does. But, but the amount of soy that I think that people eat in the typical vegetarian diet to try to replace meat is, uh, is a mistake. And that's a source of a big source of estrogen. Those are the two main sources, three main sources. And what other what other issues? Um, health wise, with men, I think the uh, because of the estrogen, then we have and, and because of stress, uh, we have low testosterone levels, and we, and we we see this happening in uh, in young males a lot. So because of diet, because of stress, because of the phytoestrogens, um, that we're having low testosterone levels. Does estrogen? in men affect testosterone levels? Yes, they compete. So, so men have, you know, if you give a man estrogen, he's going to be more feminine, right? He's going to, he's going to develop uh, female characteristics. You know, he's going to start developing uh, breasts and he's going to have uh, uh, testicular atrophy. Um, so, yeah, so these things, and I think it's deeper than just that. I think it's even when it comes to our brain, definitely to our health, I think, I think that we don't, do well in estrogen. Um, there's a thing that we used to call steroid rage. And, uh, and uh, so it, it, it may be a real thing. I read this article um, that this guy, his theory was that it wasn't actually steroid rage. It was actually the opposite because as bodybuilders and people that take exogenous steroids to pack on muscle, um, they would cycle it. So then when they were, when they were, 
they would downcycle, they had a relative increase in estrogen because as your, as your testosterone level increased, your body would convert more of that into estrogen. You know, they try to keep, so your body's going to try and balance anything you do to it. So it, it only has a certain amount of capacity to produce estrogen. Then it'll take the testosterone, actually convert that into estrogen. So then when they stop taking the testosterone, their, their body's ability to produce testosterone is already atrophied and shut off. So that's gone, but they still have this level of estrogen. So we have a relative increase in estrogen. And it was the estrogen that, that, the, that the men weren't used to. And, and so they had this, they had, they were having these, uh, these rages, but um, his, his theory was that it was actually fueled by the estrogen and maybe so, I don't know, but it was, uh, it was an interesting way to look at it. And, and I think it kind of shows, you know, or at least maybe sheds a light on the possibility that, uh, that high estrogen levels aren't really good for men. Right. Yeah. But there is evidence. I mean, I don't think it's a secret that testosterone can create aggression and, uh, and higher than, ideal doses yeah it's it depends what you call aggression you know it, it's a fun, it, it definitely it definitely increases assertiveness but i don't know that it creates violence and, and that's the difference but um but i may be wrong and uh maybe it does but i don't think there's any conclusion there that it does you know there's a there are some studies done that violent offenders in prison tend to have a higher testosterone level than not and so that may be that may be evidence that that may be true but it's definitely assertiveness, and maybe that, um, when combined with the uh, you know uh, criminal mind or criminal background or behavior, it, it uh, shows up as violence more often. So, so yeah, that could be any other health issues. Um, well, there, you know, uh, there's a lot of things that um, besides testosterone, just the uh, the biomechanics of our modern day life. You know, sitting and looking down at the phone is 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 very detrimental to uh, everybody and, and then included, you know, uh, you know, sitting turns off your core, turns it right off by a reaction between uh, different types of muscle. You have, you have tonic and phasic muscles and you have muscles that are responsible for posture and muscles that are not and muscles work together. So when one muscle tightens, the opposite muscle relaxes. So as we sit, uh, certain muscles tighten, which will turn off other muscles. And some of those muscles are core muscles and stabilizing muscles. So we have, more, uh, more, more back issues and more work for me. <laughs> right. You, you also help men sort out their health issues, right? Yeah. Yeah. I help, I, I help men sort of their uh, health, health issues and, and I help men with, uh, with testosterone, uh, you know, trying to, trying to get it up naturally. You know, there's ways to do it naturally. Sometimes it's very difficult because it takes a lifestyle change and many men can't change their lifestyle. It's, it's just too, uh, too entrenched in these things, you know, and, the biggest, you know, there's a natural, there's a natural lessening of testosterone as we get older, but I don't know that in a natural world, I don't know that that's significant. I think that you're, so testosterone is interesting. We always make enough testosterone. It's the amount of free testosterone that we have that's important because that's the only part that's active. So the amount of free testosterone we have is very small compared to the testosterone that we make. So it's always, if, if the testosterone you had was, free that we would, which that means it's able to bind to the receptor site then uh, you would help you would have enough testosterone we don't really know how this really happens it happens you think it happens at or around the receptor site something happens to the testosterone where it becomes unbound it's bound because uh because testosterone is a is a lipid it's a uh, hormone 
it doesn't it doesn't flow through the bloodstream well because the blood is mainly polar, it's mainly water. So lipids, oil and water don't mix. So in, so in order for in order for um, testosterone to, to flow through blood, as it has a binding globulin on it that has a, that's a little that's a little bit more miscible in water. So it can, but with that binding globulin on it, it can't it can't uh, it can't fit into the receptor. So something happens at the receptor site at that level where that globulin comes off and testosterone binds to the uh, to the to the uh, receptor and creates the signal. Um, <clears throat> So we don't know how that happens. We do know that stress and, and inflammation makes that binding stronger and harder to harder to loosen that up. Um, so if we're able to lessen uh, stress levels, inflammation levels, I think we'd always have enough testosterone. I don't think that you know, but in this world, you know, we also have the competing uh, estrogens. You know, in this world, it, that may not be feasible. And how do you recommend reducing inflammation? So uh, there's a number of, of ways, you know, that I do. You know, there's there's nutrients that you can take. Uh, the the big one of the big ones is sleep, and uh, and that gets very difficult um, uh, as we get older. You know, we have to really cultivate a uh, sleep hygiene. You have to make uh, you know time off the off the screens, screens, yeah, screens, um, and um, and also you know a way to Get all the many stresses out of your mind, and having a way to meditate and kind of, kind of uh, start toning that stuff down. And start and uh, and then have a set time to go to bed and wake up. Um, and if you build in a strong sleep hygiene, you'll be able to sleep better. And you know they do this for babies and with good success. And um, and you can do the same for ourselves. Um, and so that's one of the main ways I think to keep inflammation down as we get older. The other one is uh, food, you know, inflammatory foods, especially inflammatory oils are, in my opinion, are some of the most um, of the things that we eat are the most inflammatory. Um, but there's also uh, food allergies that um, that can come into play and that becomes very specific. I mean, there's the ones that uh, are the, uh, you know, are the, I think the low hanging fruit, like the glutens and the dairy and things like that. Um, but by the time, I, I noticed that in my practice, by the time somebody comes to me, um, there's so much going on that just taking those things out of the diet is not going to make a difference because the because the gut has become so permeable um, to so many different things that just taking those out isn't enough to clean it up and get it to heal. You have to really and and it's very difficult. And, you know, um, you know, we talk about the it, it's a big thing now in the news about the gut biome and it's the biome that we lose. And it's hard to get that back. It's really hard to get that back. You know, probiotics aren't enough. They can help, but they're not enough by themselves. Um, they're even doing uh, uh, fecal implants now. Um, and, uh, and those are showing uh, pretty good promise. Um, but even then, you know, uh, the, they're, they're good for seeding the gut temporarily, but um, they don't seem to stay, you know, so I don't know how that, I don't know how that, uh, once you lose it, I don't know if you can get it back completely. It's hard to figure that all out, but you know, it's worth it. I mean, if you're really suffering, it's worth it. So that's a, so diet's one way, stress is the other way, sleep is another way. Uh, there's things that we can do, uh, cold uh, immersion, you know, uh, cold exposure. That's been shown to be very good uh, reducing uh, inflammation levels. Yeah, and you've been doing that longer than anybody I know. I know it's 
super hip right now, but yeah, well, you know, it's funny. I started doing it, you know, since I was a kid, I read this book called uh, born identity, you know, and everybody knows the movies, but I mean, these, so when I was, when I was, when I was a kid, I guess I was in my twenties when I read it and uh, Jason Bourne, uh, one of the, th one of the things is that he would take cold showers and, uh, and I thought, yeah, I'm going to be a man and just take cold showers. So I've been doing cold showers uh, off and on since then. And, uh, and obviously more religiously lately because they do. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, they, they really make a big difference. At the beginning of the day. I think you've been doing them exclusively, at least as long as I've known you. Oh, yeah. I've been doing them exclusively for, for probably uh, more than 10 years. Yeah, more than 10 years, maybe 15 years. And that's, you know, and then the, you know, the cold plunges and the ice baths, I, I do that once in a while. I, but, you know, the thing about the cold showers is that they'll get you cold enough. It just takes you longer. The idea is getting your core cold. And uh, so get your face in the water around your neck, you know, and hands and feet, because that's where the capillary beds are. And that's what gets the transports the water, uh, you know, into your core. And so you just stay in there long enough. I mean, you can die from hypothermia if you fall asleep in a, uh, in an iron tub. So, you know, so obviously it just takes time, you know, the water out of my tap is cold, maybe in the winter, but it's not, but you know, when I go, when I travel to like Connecticut, you know, that's a big difference, you know, I jump in that water and I, I love it, man. It's just great. And that, that's really cold. Yeah. I was just, I mean, just in Sacramento, which is, you know, it's farther north than here, but it's not Connecticut. And even the, you know, the pool water there, you know, unheated pool water is significantly colder. Yeah. Yeah. So you just stay in longer. I mean, that's, you know, and that's effective. Um, so that's one, that's, that's a real good way of, uh, and I think the, you know, the breathing, uh, breathing techniques are good at, reducing inflammation because we're so, we're so trained now to breathe into our, into our chest that we forget how to breathe. And just the more that we can breathe into our, into our diaphragm, into our stomach, um, then we shut off the, the sympathetic nervous system and, 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 and then the parasympathetic nervous system kicks on and that that's less inflammatory. We're always in, we're always in stress and stress is, is uh, sympathetic, you know. It's the the fight or flight mechanism is always stimulating us, and that and that's when you breathe into your chest, that's being stimulated. As soon as you inhale and exhale, let it out. As soon as you let out that that relaxing breath, you can feel your physiology change like that. There's an immediate change, and uh, if you don't notice it in one, you'll notice it in two or three. You'll obviously you you can feel your body calming down that fast. So we're actually breathing in a stressful way. Even at night, we're breathing stressfully oftentimes, and that's why we're not sleeping because we're fight or flight, and that creates a whole host of other issues with, with blood sugar and and all kinds of stuff. You know, and, you know, and and you know, uh, dysregulation of the on and off nervous system, and uh, which I'm experiencing now with my heart palpitations. Part of it, you know. I have, well, part of it's because of COVID. I, you know, I had, ever since COVID, I had heart palpitations that have been ongoing. But um, but I had some before then that they just would come and go rarely. But now it's like consistent, consistent, and um, and that's autonomic dysregulation. And part of that, I think, uh, I think the spike protein um, has some uh, very uh, detrimental effects on um, on all these different tissues in our body, long lasting. I have a, my belief is that all COVID is long COVID. You know, when nobody is getting over COVID, some are some are dealing with it worse than others, but we're all going to have symptoms from that that spike protein. You know, it's just not 
is not good. It's a it's a it's a bad bad deal. You know, I, I hope that one day they make a vaccine that doesn't include spike protein. <laughs> you know, you know, we pick another protein. But uh, but the, the why the vaccine is the spike protein is so good at creating uh, antibodies. So I can see why they chose it. But but you know, it's a hell of a lot less than the amount of spike protein you'll get an infection. You know, a hell of a lot less dangerous. So. Yeah. Well, and it seems like luckily the the COVID that's that continues to remain isn't as deadly. Yeah, it seems to have attenuated, um, and that's good. Uh, I hope that continues that trend. Those are the big uh, the big hammers when it comes to reducing inflammation. You know, if we can get those things together, you'll help. You help combat all the all the external stressors, environmental and psychological stressors that we. You know, and, and you know, now I'm thinking about you know another big stressor on us that causes inflammation is actually uh, physical, you know, physical stressors. You know, sometimes training too hard. You know, people trying too hard. You know, to uh, to uh, get in quote better shape um, that can cause inflammation. Uh, I don't know anybody like that. Yeah, you know, I've, I've actually, uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, I uh, I had a patient that that um, that actually trained himself to death. Yeah, he he, would, he was a runner. He would run and run and run and run, and he wouldn't stop running. And um, he became emaciated, and he ended up having a stroke. And he still wouldn't stop. As soon as he got out of bed, he would start running again. And uh, he eventually died from it. It's much of a good thing. Yeah, yeah. So, but you know, so physical stress can be another source of uh, of inflammation. What else is going on? Just trying to get through life. You know, learn, grow. And as I go into the uh, last few decades, last few decades, uh, I'm hoping to still, still keep uh, learning and growing and evolving. You know, um, we'll see. I'm hoping for. I'm hoping, hoping for, uh, for lack of a better word, a heart opening. That's what I'm looking forward to. That's what I'm kind of striving for as I get older. Is uh, is getting that part of my of myself, my being more evolved you know i think that's uh that's real important i think that's something that we're all lacking in this culture right now and i think humans have a great capacity for it um, but we surely don't see it very often you know or often enough that's my goal for the next rest of this experience and what what's the what's your you know what's your treatment plan yeah, well, that's a good point. I, I, it's, it's. I don't know. You know, I, I try. I'm trying to. Uh, you know, my, my, going inwards and 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 looking at, um, where, uh, where my own heart has been, uh, uh, has been, injured is is a big part of it, um, and also just, uh, and this opening up to. Uh, to people, you know, I think that I think that if you open up and, and uh, to people, I think that that gets reflected back to you, and it also creates possibility. You know, one thing, you know, I watched my father uh, die um, from lung cancer, and my father was a he was a seeker, you know, and he was he had his issues, and he was he was a fairly broken man, but he was a seeker. You know, he knew that there was something, you know, that for him to do, and to this very end, but. Uh, he kept seeking, but I noticed as he got closer and closer to death, um, there was this opening in his spirit that was um, palpable. 
you know, it was the same man, but when you walk into the room, it wasn't the same man. Something had opened up in him and uh, he was struggling. He was in pain. He was, you know, every once in a while he get become his old feisty, grouchy self. But, um, but you could see that something was opening in him. And, uh, and a lot of it, I think was his heart, you know, it really, in the later part of his life, uh, something that he held very close um, throughout my childhood, throughout most of his life, that he actually allowed that to open. And it actually allowed us to have a really good relationship towards the end of his life um, that we didn't have all through, my, all through my childhood and all through my adult life. Um, and uh, that was, uh, that was uh, inspirational for me to say, okay, this is, this is uh, possible, you know, and, and more. This is possible more. So that's, that's what I'm kind of looking at. And, and getting a hold of that sooner than later. Yeah, yeah, sooner than later. Not at the, not at the, just at the end. Yeah, yeah, but it, but it makes sense that it happens at the end. Sure. Well, sure, yeah, yeah, it, it makes sense because because you know the physical body has its lessons, you know, and then as it starts to fade, I think there's a natural transition for the spiritual self to evolve or, or have that has the opportunity to come to the fore. Yeah, and if you're if you're if you're able to recognize that. You can, you can develop that. And um, I think people that don't recognize that or hold too tightly onto their youth and in the past, um, they make that transition very painful and uh, they may miss it altogether. And, uh, and uh, so that's what I'm trying to focus on. Uh, it's not easy because I, I am guarded. I know that, you know, I know that I'm severely guarded and it's, and it's hard to, it's hard to, uh, you know, put the, put the, put the swords down and, uh, and be vulnerable. And, uh, and that's what I'm learning from, from the, from the men that I know, you know, that, um, that there's a, you, you can do that. And, uh, so that's where I'm going. Yeah. We'll see if I make it there. <laughs> there's no destination, right? As you've, as you've pointed out, there's only the, there's the process. Yeah. The process and the journey. Yeah. When my father died, you know, uh, one thing that he said, he goes, he says something, he goes, yeah, I'm curious to see what comes next. And, uh, yeah, so I have the same same kind of feeling about uh, about my life, just my living, you know, uh, just see what comes next. And just try to just try to keep, remember it to open, just to open, you know, and, and let that happen. That's the goal. No, I'm trying to, trying to keep it real and, and uh, safe, you know, after that crash, I kind of, uh, I, I think I owe it to myself to be a little safer and yeah. to the people around me. Um, you know, the hardest thing, to be honest, is to is the thought of leaving the men that I know. You know, that's the hardest thing for me. You know, I don't, you know, that's, uh, you know, that's, uh, I'm so fortunate and I don't know how my life would be without that. You know, because they really do keep me grounded, keep me um, safe and sane. It's reminding me to realize that you're alive and be thankful for that. If, if only just that. Well, thank you, my friend. Yeah, thank you, bro.
Abdullah took his brothering seriously. Oh, sister, 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 sister,